Is this thing on? Oh, welcome to Life and Laughs Podcast. Say hello again to your favorite hosts, a man that once swallowed a bunch of staples on accident in first grade and had to be rushed to the hospital only to be told that they would have to come out the natural way. And a man that once tried to crack an egg with a live chicken in it. Here they are, Johnny Sanchez and Elias Israel. Hey, hey, hey. We are back. It's Life and Last Podcast. What's going on, Elias? Man, I am just moving and grooving, man. I feel young because I'm trying to figure out new stuff and apply new stuff to my life. We were just talking about this, guys. There is a new social media platform as if we didn't need or I didn't need another one to have to try to figure out. I'm just catching up to Instagram and all these other ones. Now we have what's called Twitch. And so I Twitch and I'm just... I I heard people Twitch and I didn't... Uh, what is this? A dance? Well, it's a website, apparently. Tell us about Twitch, Elias. What is it? It's twitch.tv, right? Yeah, it's twitch.tv, which sounds older to me. Doesn't that sound a little older? But nay, apparently this is what all the young people are using, all those whippersnappers. <laughs> Was it a crack addict that came up with right. the name? Watch which. That's a great question of which I'll bring up to make me relevant. I'll bring up every time someone adds me on Twitch. Hey, <laughs> but why Twitch? Which is owned by Amazon, I just found out. But you have just set up your own Twitch account. What is it? So people can go in and check that out. Yes, twitch.tv forward slash laugh anyway. Yeah, go check it out. And how I found out about it, we are going to have a guest on the show in a few minutes, Atticus mm-hmm. Schaefer. And he is how I found out about it because he has a web address there as well, which is twitch.tv forward slash Atticus Schaefer vlog. So go check his page out. You can see some of his videos. He's coming up on the show in just a little bit. What do people use it for? Because it originally was meant for gaming. Right, yeah. And that's kind of what I felt like because my son was my, he was the one that was pushing me toward it. And then when I talked to Atticus, Atticus encouraged me and said I wouldn't be sorry for being on this. But so I thought, well, I don't, I'm not a gamer. I mean, I, I remember I loved playing Tetris, but that was about my, the extent of my gaming experience. And my son was like, no, 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 no. And then the more you check it out, it doesn't have to be just for gaming. It can be really anything. Kind of like everyone would encourage people to be, you know, on, uh, oh, you, you remember back in the day when people would encourage you to uh, get a color TV. <laughs> you know, that's... <laughs> I don't remember, man. How old are you, man? <laughs> oh, man, I don't like to talk about that. I've had a lot of work done. Had a lot of work done. I'm just kidding. <laughs> well, we've got some stats here for you guys to know about Twitch uh, to help inform all of us, like me. I'm learning this as I go as well. For example, 81.5% of Twitch users are male, and that's probably because of the gaming part of it. I don't know if you're aware, some of you guys listening, that people will go and watch other people play video games and then actually donate money to them. Right. Small amounts, which can add up, though. You know, if you like the video, if you want, you can donate to them, which is really cool. So a lot of people are doing this. Atticus plays a lot of games. He's really good at them, and I love watching yeah. him commentate as he's playing these games. It's hilarious. 
hilarious. Right, yeah. And and my son, who's been on it for about two weeks, that's the reason I really got on there is because, you know, you follow the money and that joker made $15 yesterday and I know him and I thought, well, if he can make $15, then I can make at least 14 <laughs> Hey, here's another stat here, too, man. Uh, 55% of Twitch users are aged between 18 and 34, like your son. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It's where everyone's going, man. Here's another interesting point. Twitch has more than 15 million daily active users. 15 million people are using this daily, so it is really on the rise. And especially if Amazon owns it, you know they're going to be pushing it. And it's actually been around since 2011, but it's just now at its prime. I think everybody right now, especially with the coronavirus, having to be at home, they can't go play video games with their friends. It's really increased the amount of members and viewers. Now, you don't have to be a member of Twitch to see it. You can just go to twitch.tv and and watch for free. It doesn't cost you anything. Here's another thing. There has been 355 billion minutes watched of Twitch videos. Wow. How old would you be after 355 (laughs) billion minutes? I don't know. You'd have to ask those guys that didn't have a black and white TV or didn't have a color TV. Nathaniel, come in here. Nathaniel, I've got a question for you. I'm 356 billion minutes old. You know, it also says here that Twitch has between 2.2 and 3.2 million monthly broadcasters. That's how many people aren't just on the site. That's just how many people are actually posting videos. 2.2 and 3.2 million monthly broadcasters. That's incredible. That is a lot of users, and Elias was the newest member, apparently. So go check check out his Twitch page. That's twitch.tv forward slash laugh anyway. But then make sure you come right back, because coming up, Elias, we have Atticus Schaefer, who played Brick Heck on the ABC hit show The Middle for nine seasons. So cool. He's such a cool guy. Yes, I love this guy. So impressed by him, and you will be too. It's coming up on Life and Laughs Podcast. Life and Laughs Podcast is brought to you in part by Dead and Buried Inc. Building a brand is exciting, but there is a lot more that goes into looking professional and staying consistent online than we tend to think. Dead and Buried Inc. are here to help you complete your project by providing top quality screen printing, advertising material, and marketing services for bands, brands, and businesses of all sizes. With low minimums, fast turnaround times, and the ability to customize anything, they are there to help you start to finish. So Visit deadandburiedinc.com. That's deadandburiedinc.com. And now, the next president and vice president of the United States in 2024, Johnny Sanchez and Elias Israel. On the Celebrity Hotline right now is a man who began acting at the age of eight years old. He was the voice of Edgar in the film Frankenweenie and also Ono on the Disney Junior series The Lion Guard. He stole the scene with Will Smith in the movie Hancock, and he is best known as the quirky and lovable Brick Heck on the ABC series The Middle. Please welcome to Life and Laughs Podcast, the very talented Mr. Atticus Schaffer, or Schaefer, either one. (laughs) 
<laughs> that was almost the nicest introduction I've ever gotten. <laughs> we just talked about this, and so if I close. wouldn't have asked you, so, I would have said it correctly. So close. Listen, I planted the bug in your ear. If there's anyone to blame, it's me. <laughs> it's it's not your fault. You planted the correct bug. You planted yeah. the you planted the correct seed, and that seed somehow was attacked by a weed of mispronunciation. <laughs> <laughs> That's my life. Welcome to my life. There we go. <laughs> now we know why there's laughs in the podcast name. <laughs> yes, <laughs> laughing at my dumb things that I do constantly. <laughs> How's it going out there, man? Oh, it's it's going as well as it can be in a state that's perpetually burning. <laughs> yeah. Have you experienced any of that? Any smoke or anything? Oh, absolutely. You know, it, it's finally starting to clear up now, but I kid you not. I mean, I live in Mordor, like from Lord of the Rings. When I yeah. drive around, it's all it's all charred. It looks like a big old nuke went off. So, I mean, it makes for good location shoots, I guess. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's so great to have you on the show today. We are both huge fans of you and the show The Middle. Yep. Love your character on there. I think you bring that character to life more than anybody else probably ever could. How close are you to the character Brick on the show? Well, first of all, thank you very much. I really, I genuinely appreciate those those compliments being bestowed upon me. I hope I don't disappoint as you get to know me now. <laughs> uh, but no, you know, the, the thing about Brick is he's actually a character that I could relate to a lot and it's not because of necessarily shared attributes which of course there are many the writers took a lot from my personal life and incorporated it into the character but what I love about him the most is the fact that he follows the beat to his own drummer and he just is not afraid to be himself he is who he is and, and throughout the entirety of the show he really demonstrates that especially being a child who grows up and so in that regard I think that's where Brick and I are most similar. I love how Brick Rick always is just the dry sense of humor kind of character in the writing. The writers were excellent, by the way, in the way that they presented your lines to where you couldn't help but be funny in some of them. But as a young child at your age and the facial expressions that you had, the understanding of what you were actually saying at such a young age was so impressive. Thank you. Oh, my gosh. I appreciate that. Thank you. Um, <laughs> You know, it, it is. It's one of those things where we were very fortunate. See, the thing is is the way that the network show like The Middle worked is we actually changed writers several times. Um, we had a lot of people who started with us and didn't necessarily finish with us and other people came in their stead. Um, and so that was, that was a particular challenge as far as keeping the consistency of the character. And if it were me, me personally, I mean, there are a lot of things I could nitpick and say, well, that wasn't really consistent from season one to season nine. But as far as what it conveyed to you guys as the viewers, I'm incredibly thankful the character could remain consistently a character that for me I could be proud to play. Tell us how you got your start as an actor first. Let's go back in time there a little bit. You started around the age of seven or eight years old, I believe. Yes, that's correct. So starting starting in the industry was absolutely me falling into it. It was never a pre-planned thing by my parents. They didn't birth me and then say he's going to be an actor. It really was something that kind of just happened. This is a very heavily influenced part where I say this was a God thing because what ended up happening is I became the poster child for my hospital when I was about six. And so I spent a year of going and having to do charity events and make speeches telling about my story. And at six years old, 
told I was writing my own speeches and I felt perfectly comfortable with talking to people of all ages and meeting with people and whatever. And what ended up happening was there was a, a particular point at the end of my term being this poster child for this hospital that my mom had turned to another family member when I was doing a speech at halftime at a charity football game and she said, there's got to be more to it than this. And through a course of events, we found the information for a manager in this industry and my mom had said, you know, he has such a cute voice. Maybe he could be like a little cartoon character or a book on tape reader or something. And so what ended up happening is is we went and met with the manager and uh, I got signed on for voiceover and theatrical. And what ended up happening is the manager's assistant accidentally sent me on an audition for a guest star role on a CBS show called The Class, and I booked it. And for that role, I got to work with James Burroughs, and the first actor I ever worked with in a scene was Jason Ritter, and everything just snowballed from there. Wow. wow. So you booked your first audition? Yes. <laughs> oh, wow. And you probably that's what had I'm no saying. Idea. Yeah, you probably had no idea at that time how impossible that really is. Oh, absolutely. Again, you know, you, you talk about looking at the industry as a whole now, and you have so many other different types of roles that are definitely not something like a guest role on a network TV show and that still is a challenge. So for me, it wasn't, until, like you said, it wasn't until later on when I had been in the industry more and actually learned about it that I realized how much of a blessing that that specific job was. I've seen a lot of interviews when you were very young and you were, even then, so articulate. I mean, you're wise beyond your years, we'll just put it that way, because most kids at that age aren't able to put together sentences and thoughts like you did at that age. I mean, you, I kind of think, probably blew people away. And plus, you were adorable. I mean, you were this adorable little kid with this adorable voice. You were kind of uh, hard to turn away from, I would think, as a <laughs> casting director. <laughs> I, well, I appreciate that. I wish that you were my casting director for most of the auditions I've done. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Atticus, it does sound like from your story that you're very open about talking about your health issues and what you've went through there. And it sounds like because of those, that possibly teed you up to be vocal, to be articulate, to be because you, you mentioned you were talking to people and to adults and room full of adults before. Can you tell us a little bit about your your journey there with your health and how it not held you back, but some some challenging moments that maybe you've you've had to go through when you were younger. Absolutely, absolutely. So what it is is I have a I have a condition. It's a genetic condition called osteogenesis imperfecta. The layman's term for that is brittle bone disease. Although that's incorrect because you can't catch it. It's a genetic condition, as I said. But what it is is it's a condition that affects the collagen of your bones. So my bones are more fragile. Uh, you know your joints are more lax, you know, a whole bunch of other scientific stuff that goes on with this condition, right? And my mom has it, my brother has it, and that's just the way that it is, and I have it. And what ended up happening is my mom, who has a different type classification, because there's different classifications of type for this condition, she has one that's less severe, and she was told she was never going to have a child that was worse than her. Then I come along and I am. So that was an insane journey of literally my mother fighting on my behalf to get me to even walk, getting me the right help that I needed the, with doctors that were actually educated in this condition, getting me the treatment that I needed and whatever to get me to walk. And if it wasn't for her, I wouldn't even be walking, let alone in the position that I have been in in my life. See, my mom taught me, she taught me how to live within my means. 
So when I say I have this condition, I always say I never want to call it a disability because it in no way disables me. Do I have to alter or adjust how I live my life in certain respects? Absolutely, I do. But that doesn't mean that I don't have a life worth living, right? And so... For me in my position, I mean, have there been a lot of hard times? Absolutely, yes. I've had different periods of my life where I had to endure multiple surgeries, both post-injury and preventative corrective surgeries. Um, if you were to communicate with me, I am a, a person who genuinely knows the concept of true, real pain, not just, oh, I stubbed my pinky toe on my left foot. No, I, I know real pain. And, uh, you know, from that, it really, it really shaped me to be the man that I am today because it's given me a sense of empathy and compassion for anyone who struggles with any type of challenge and all of the challenges that can come with having a challenge, whether it be physical, emotional, spiritual, whatever it may be. Something I always say is I believe the best accomplishments in life usually are inspired by tough times, and it probably inspired you to overcome everyday issues just because of the great challenges you had as a little boy early on in life. Absolutely, absolutely. And, you know, I'm, I'm thankful because as I've gotten older, you do end up getting healthier. Thankfully, the way that the human body is designed, you know, when you go through puberty, all the different hormones kick in, your muscle structure changes, the skeletal structure, whatever. And am I more improved now than I am when I was, like, say, six? Absolutely, yes. But I still have the condition. I still have to be careful. It is still a part of me, but it in no way defines my life. So That's awesome, yeah. too, because we live with those two choices, whether to be a victim and everyone one's got justification on why they should be a victim or whether to be a victor and you have clearly chosen to communicate that you are a victor over your circumstances and I really commend you for that. Thank you. I appreciate that sincerely. That that means a lot to me. But you're absolutely right though in saying that. You know, there are people who face great challenges and long suffering and everything like that and they do buckle and the reality is is they are justified to buckle under that pressure. I mean, it, when you endure pain like that and the struggle and the struggle of that, that's very real. But like you said, there is that other option to choose life, to choose, let me overcome this in whatever way overcoming means. It doesn't necessarily mean, oh, I'm I'm now away from this issue or this issue is resolved. Sometimes the reality is, is that just doesn't happen. So how can you find that victory in those circumstances and still be an overcomer? I know you are, you're very close to your mom, Mama Debbie. So talk about how your mom has influenced your life spiritually, personally, and professionally. You know, my mom, she she is definitely a diamond in the rough type of person. She has never been in the industry, but she is absolutely through and through an artist. And she has an artist mindset, an artist eye. I'm, I'm speaking to how she how she has benefited me in my in my professional life. You know, she even now continues to help me. To this day, even with my production company and everything like that, she is the best director of photography I have had thus far. She just has such an eye for composition. She is a great person to bounce ideas off of as far as when I would do my scenes and everything. She was there with me on set the whole time, and I would love to communicate with her about how we would handle scenes or how I would do different takes and whatever. How can we come up with different ideas and make things interesting? So she is definitely a, a, an amazing artist who, in my opinion, is, is very underappreciated in that regard. But as far as helping me in my life, I mean, like I was saying earlier, this is a woman who fought
fought with doctors who were telling her and trying to convince her that I was going to be in a wheelchair for the rest of my life. And she fought to get me to walk. She fought to get me to be healthy, to work within my means, to still experience life and life in abundance. So, I mean, she has been a major influence on my life. And, and one of the major influences of that is how she, she really is one of the main people who led me to Christ. From the very beginning of my life, she was talking to me about Jesus and about God, telling me the different stories from the Bible and parables and who Jesus was and whatever. But she did not do it ever in a Bible-thumping way. She would always give me a choice, but she was always presenting the good choice. And so when it came time where I gave my life to Christ, actually in the hospital post a horrific fracture that I had, which I needed a surgery to correct, I was in the hospital and I watched Christian television at night because I was lying awake and being in pain and literally seeing the culmination on TV from several different pastors and preachers and hearing about how they really were watering the seeds that my mom had planted through the entirety of my life. That was what led me to Christ. And still to this day, my mom and I study from the Bible together or we'll do devotionals and read Christian literature, listen to Christian speakers, and we have our discussions. So she really has been a major influence on me. I saw some videos you posted of your mom, and she just sounds like the sweetest person in the world. In fact, she was uh, it was the one you posted of her showing the garden, and, mm -hmm. and she was speaking of your animals. And I'm telling you, I had tears in my eyes as she was talking about one of your pets that had passed away. She just brings out that kind of sweet spirit, and it sounds like in other people, and I can see where you get a lot of your sensitivity, because you're one of the nicest guys, I gotta say, after seeing a lot of your interviews and your videos. Yeah. We are so impressed by you, by the way you handle yourself. <laughs> and now, especially like you said, because you are openly speaking about your faith in a world that really suppresses faith, especially in Hollywood, and what impresses yeah. me is that when you're on an interview, even if they don't ask about your faith, you find a way to bring up your faith because it's not you're trying to brag or anything. It's just so much a big part of your life and who you are that you can't help but talk about it. And that is so impressive about somebody at your age. Thank you very much for that. Yeah, I'm going to tell this to my mom later and she's just going to be in tears. Seriously, um, <laughs> she, 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 she does not get feedback like that. And, and again, you, you want to talk about hardship. My mom has endured hardship that goes well beyond that of mine, genuinely. Uh, she yeah. did not have a parent like her in her life. She did not have uh, siblings or friends or really any type of support in her life that led her like she has with me and, and the people that I have been surrounded by who were positive in my life. So for her, I mean, she grew up in the purest definition of hardship, and yet she overcame it. And the fact that you have bestowed such compliments onto her and, and you do recognize what I know because I know her that sensitivity, that kindness, that compassion, that is just who she is. That means a lot to me, so I'm definitely going to convey that to her. But like you said about the faith, you know, when we live in a world that tries to suppress faith, that is the best time to be talking about our faith and faith in Christ. And so for me, you know, this is, it's very important to me to bring up about Christ because, as you said, he is a big part of my life. To me, being a Christian isn't this sad thing that you 
just pick and choose when to bring up and that's it. It's something that when you have Christ in you, you have Christ in you. Your life is dynamically different and changed. And so for me, it's like, why would I not bring that up and potentially positively influence someone who might be hurting or lost or need to know the truth that it is not too late? Light in this darkness of the world, especially now, what we've all experienced in the last few months. Yeah, and mm-hmm. I, I, oh, absolutely. I, I'd like to say this, too, is that I don't think you have a, I mean, you may have a small idea of the influence that you are, but like what I'm thinking is just to even my kids, I've got uh, three kids, one is 24 and the other is 17 and 15, and uh, to them, you know, they watch you on the show and you're the favorite character, obviously, you're, that's why we're on the phone with you. <laughs> <laughs> but in saying that, when you're open about your faith, and, and it's not even when you, you specifically just talk about your faith, but the words that come out, that you're full of the word. And those seeds that your mom planted at a young age and then that you willfully continued to put in, those things have grown. And from the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so you overflow with an abundance of God's word. And that's a testimony that's powerful even when I can't speak into what my kids are going through or something like that, when they see an example of someone they look up to, uh, like you, just living a Christian life, because like you said, Christ is in you, and you're just operating, you're allowing him to operate through you, he's your filter, you don't know the influence and the impact you have beyond just the relationships. I'm telling you, people are watching, and that just means so much to me to know that there's just good character like that. I just love it. Thank you so very much. Oh my gosh, I'm going to (laughs) cry. You're going to make me cry on your podcast, but seriously, Listen, that'll no. Be, I, that'll I, be great for ratings. That'll be great for ratings. <laughs> and then that's when, that's when I start retweeting it and stuff. I was like, what's the They made me cry. Um, no, but seriously, that, that means the absolute world to me because that, you know, I'm a person who I definitely have confidence in Christ, but I still have that human side that does self-doubt. I'm definitely the type of person who I will replay things in my head and I'll be like, dang, that could have been articulated in a better way or oh lord I hope I did what you wanted me to do I hope I spoke the truth you wanted me to speak and I always handle everything with an abundance of prayer but for you to convey that to me for you to say that to me that's precisely what I I pray and I ask God to do through me every time I do whether it be an interview like this or interviews I've done in the past or work that I do or whatever it may be so sincerely that means the world to me thank you awesome I want to talk a little bit about the show The Middle The Middle was actually originally done as a pilot, I think about two years or so, with a completely different cast and did not get picked up. I think Ricky Lake might have been the mom. Talk about how the show got a second chance and what was different that made ABC want to do the show. Well, you know, here's the thing is when we did the first pilot, and as you said, it was a completely different cast besides myself. I was the only original cast member to be brought back. And Ricky Lake was the mom. Lex Medlin was the dad. And then it was actually a a young lady from Vancouver, Canada, who played Sue and another gentleman who was playing Axel. So a a completely different cast. And really, I think what it was that did it, I don't necessarily think it was the casting, although the cast, obviously, we all were able to play well with each other as far as the family dynamics and everything like that, the story. But what ended up happening is I think the timing of it was 
was really what made the show successful. And so I think everything going on within our country, how the world was changing as a whole, I think it really hearkened in that desire in an audience to say, you know, I just want to see a real family, not these people that are living rich, extravagant lives over in, uh, you know, Manhattan, New York, or these other people that are living this strange, always changing life in California. They wanted just reality. And that has been the consistent theme from everybody that I have talked to has watched the show, is they love how relatable it is. And that's part of what I loved about working on the show, is the fact that it was real, it was relatable. Granted, we're, you know, we're a comedy show, so we took certain situations and kind of amplified them or whatever whatever it may yeah. be, but it was relatable. And uh, I think that's really what brought people together. And then, of course, too, with such a positive influence is how it was family-oriented. It's not a show where parents or kids have to be ashamed about what certain content is in it. It could be something that universally a family could sit down, make a tradition of watching, and enjoy. And what an incredible cast, too. Patricia Heaton, she actually described you as an old soul. Talk to us a little bit about working with not only Patricia Heaton, but also Neil Flynn as your TV parents on the show. <laughs> uh, do I have a skip button here? <laughs> <I'm> <laughs> <kidding>. <laughs> um, it was interesting. I didn't know she called me an old soul. That's kind of nice. I'd like to see that interview and be yeah. like, wow, that's real. Um, you know, Neil is very much like his character. Uh, very, very dry and sarcastic. Um, and, yeah, and Patty's interesting. <laughs> <laughs> you know what surprised me about Patricia? She seems to be more standoffish uh, in a lot of her interviews. Almost not shy, but more willing to take a back seat. Not what you would expect from somebody that's had two huge sitcoms. She seems to be a little more reserved. In fact, I think she said she was that way, especially dealing with you guys as kids during the first year or so of the show. She didn't know how to act around you. Well, yeah, yeah. Uh, that's that's saying it nicely. Um, it's one of those situations where she openly said in an interview once, late, way later on in the show, where she said, I never liked kids. <laughs> I never liked working with kids and whatever. And she's, she's hearkening back to experiences from Raymond. Right. Yeah. And so I think that's kind of what shifted everything on set. Like, I remember there was one time where Charlie said that she thought that he was like a doper, like a pothead. And she <laughs> didn't know how to, like, articulate anything to him. And it felt very awkward and whatever. And then yeah. with me, she was just mean. But, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it is it is what it is. It's over now. You know, she knows she thankfully I, I would hope that after nine years of working with me, I'm not this evil tyrant that they thought. I was, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> what about your TV brother and sister? Were you very close to Charlie McDermott and uh, Eden Share? No. Uh, <laughs> And, I, and there was no hesitation there for a reason. Um, it's one of those things where, don't forget, they were not technically children being on the set. Both of them were over the age of 18 when we started filming, right? So really, for the most part, I was off in my schoolroom doing my studies. And when I wasn't studying, you know, math and history and science, I would be studying my lines. So for the most part, I was away from them. And I ended up communicating more with the crew, working more with them, because I, I would end up having to anyway and it really wasn't until the very end 
I mean, I'll, I'll be honest with you. If you were to see me on set, I was fairly introverted just because of the way that the dynamic of the set was. I, I communicated more with the crew than anybody else. But even then, I'll, I'll be completely honest with you. I've communicated with maybe two crew members since the ending of the show. Oh, wow. And it was, wow. it was like, it's like via text, you know. Hey, how you doing, Atticus? Oh, I'm doing fine. Good to hear it. <laughs> you know. Yeah. It's just the way. It's just the way that the cookie crumbled with that. You know, that's that's really like life. It, 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 I, I always relate it to like military service. You know how there's always the brotherhood that gets talked about and whatever, and people get that. That's cool, and that happens. But with mine, I'm the dude who just left and then went up into a cabin in the woods, and it's just isolated there for the most part from that group of people. Being a viewer, a lot of people watch. Of course, they want you all to be a family forever. They expect you to be so close. Right. And I've done some acting. I've done several plays and some low-budget movie stuff or whatever. But uh, sure. when you when you, and you're really close when you're working on a project, but when you leave that project, it's a job to you. I mean, not to say that you're not as close to those people, but as viewers, we all want you guys to stay in contact and have dinners on weekends together. And right. All, you know? And so a lot of viewers don't get that. Do you experience that a lot in your work, or or are there certain people that you do connect with that? You have a lifelong relationship. You know, for me, just because I'm I'm a little bit more of a black sheep in terms of how I think um, and my personality and everything, um, that is very much what it is. Do I enjoy my work? Absolutely. There's no question about it. But just like you said, you know, when you have a very well done show, project, movie, whatever it may be, it is difficult to have that disconnect. And I do find that there'll be viewers who, if that's all they know me as, they'll just call me Brick. And they assume that, you know, Frankie is bringing home takeout every night for dinner and we're just <laughs> hanging out and doing stuff. And it's funny because especially now, you know, I have to kind of politely, bearing in mind knowing the truth, is kind of say, hey, listen, that was a job and it's over now. Unless they do a revamp, I'm probably not going to be hanging out with these people anytime soon, you know? Yeah. And that's where that disconnect has to kind of be very carefully and mindfully worded in. Um, you know, that's where a lot of patience does come in, you know? And it's not anything bad. It's For me, I understand it because because I do the same thing with shows that I watch. Like, if I were to see, I don't know, I'm, I'm picking a, a name. If I were to see Norman Reedus, you know, walking down the street, I'd be like, Daryl, hi, where's your crossbow? And then I would take a minute, and then I would be okay. I actually did that. I met Kari Payton at a voiceover job, and I was like, oh, my God, are you King Ezekiel? And he was so cool and super patient with me, and it was like, yes, I am. And I was like, dude, you're awesome. I know that's not your real name, but hi, I'm Atticus. I love you. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. I still get depressed when I think that Jim and Pam aren't dating. Like, that's, I still... Why, yes, yes. You get all angry, and you're like, how dare you, Emily right. Blunt? <laughs> yes, how dare this real spouse? <laughs> right, right, for sure. Being a, uh, a kid on a show, a lot of times there's different rules for you, and you mentioned about studying and so forth. Now, the middle was a single-camera show, so explain to a lot of people that aren't familiar with that, explain what the difference is between that and a multi-camera show and tell us what a day on the set was like for you. Listen, I actually love that you brought that up because that, like you said, that's something that not a lot of people know the difference with. A lot of people think that a multi-camera, well, most shows are multi-camera and a multi-camera, the best way to describe it is it's like a play. 
but there's cameras there. So you literally have four to five cameras filming at the same time. You spend most of your work week on an episode rehearsing, and then you get two shoot days, and you shoot it all at once. You might or might not have a live audience that views it, and then therefore it's like a play. And I like that because, number one, you get the feedback of the audience if there is one, but number two, you get a lot of rehearsal, you get to hash out any and all kinks that there might be, and then you get to really fine-tune a scene, and then you shoot it all, and then it's like, okay, here's the whole story, and we're done. We get it, and now it's over. With single camera, though, you are now in the environment, meaning it's one camera or two cameras at a time, really fine-tuning a scene as you're filming it. There's no audience. The crew is there literally as a crew. They're there to work. And then here's you in an isolated play space. Now, the result of that is you get far less rehearsal and you end up shooting more than you are rehearsing. So what ends up happening is it ends up becoming a much longer work day every day, especially if you're in a situation where you're filming at night. Because a lot of times when you saw night shoots that we were doing, it was literal outside at night and needing to film until 1 a.m., 2 a.m., Saturday morning, certain nights. Wow. And so, like you said, you know, on a multi-camera show, I've done several, and I have nine-hour work days, you know? It's it's like working a regular job. Here you work a little bit, you have your lunch, work a little bit more, and now you go home and you're done. When it comes to a single-camera show, though, I mean, near the end of the show, we were working maybe 15-hour days every day until oh. the end of the show. Man. <laughs> and that's a lot for a kid. That is a lot for oh, a little kid. Absolutely. No, it, it'll it'll hurt your soul. <laughs> <laughs> Nine seasons, though. What an incredible run. What do you miss most absolutely. about going to the set of the middle every day, or do you miss it at all? <laughs> um, <laughs> I was I was able to cut the umbilical cord pretty easily. It was a situation where you know it was actually funny. Um, this is a funny story, and you guys can probably appreciate this. So I found out the show was ending via a text from the executive producer that somehow I was roped into a group text with her and the rest of the cast. And it was literally the day of us going to a publicity event. And it was, hey, so guys, remember, um, we're probably going to get a lot of questions tonight about how we've made the decision to end the show. And my response was, we did. And it was. It was funny. They, they broke up with me via text. And uh, it was one of those situations where, from that, I ended up having eight months of a very long, emotional Band-Aid ripoff. But the benefit of that is by the time the very final day came, when we were done, I walked away and I just felt accomplished. And I felt like, ah, I finished this race. And my life is going to be very different now. I'm okay with that, and I'm ready to see what the Lord has in store for me and my family, and what are we going to do next, and I was able to just kind of walk away from it very in a very chill way. I had more people who were viewers grieving, like literally weeping in front of me than I was actually <laughs> feeling myself. And yeah. it was it was such a it was such an emotional time. I mean, for at least a year after the show ended, and still to this day, oh, we're so sad that the show's gone. It was actually funny too. I had to do a social media post because there was a lot of people who would talk to me, and it was like I was dying. <laughs> and I was like, no, 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 hold on, I'm still here. <laughs> 
And you guys are going to go on whatever journey I have next with me because you guys are awesome and I'm so appreciative and whatever. And I, I would go from there. But yeah, it's definitely unique. I'll tell you what. <laughs> yeah, I was one of those that was sad when it ended because yeah, I don't too. do well with change. And because oh, for it, sure. was on, it was on for such a long time, you know, I experienced so many things in my life from the time the show started to the time it ended. Like my mom had passed away. I had moved. I had, there's so many life changing events in my own life that it was kind of like when I lost that show too after what becomes a part of our lives it was like losing a part of the family again absolutely oh believe me yeah Yeah, because I feel like he's looking for an apology don't give it to him (laughs) I I, I won't. Give him him a pat on the back for me and hand him a Kleenex. Um, (laughs) No, but seriously, I do. I genuinely understand it, though. I really do, because I'm in the same boat that you are, where I am not good with change. You know, like you said, I went through so much growing up, literal growing up, spending all my teenage years and a significant part of my childhood on the show. It was a very foreign feeling for me to no longer be on the show. And what really did it in for me was when August came around, because we had an August to March shooting schedule. When August came around, the following August after the show finished, I had this deep, churning anxiety in the pit of my stomach. Like, oh man, when are they going to send me that first script? What are we going to do this year? Whatever. And then I had to stop and I would be like, wait, oh wait, it's different now. (laughs) I still remember in fact, my son and I because he's around your age, he's I think a, a year younger than you. But we would watch uh-huh. that show, and we'd be out in public, and we would both do what you did after you said something. You would whisper it. <laughs> we would do that <laughs> at certain times in public. I mean, you affected more lives than you know, because as an actor, sometimes you don't realize, especially if you're not in front of a live audience, and you don't see a lot of how your show affects people, I guess, so to speak. And right. so I think a lot of times actors don't realize exactly what you mean to their lives and I'll just tell you that to my life and my son's life we had a lot of fun just because of you you know yeah <laughs> well I'm you sure are a lot awesome of other people did I'm sure so many other you are people awesome did too. Well, thank you I, gotta, I mean again that's that's stupendous again like you said I, I do not get to hear that as often as I would hope I could and to know that and, and whether it be from you here in a setting like this or the mom who comes up to me and talks to me at Walmart I mean it's amazing <laughs> every time to be able to hear that the work that I did the very you know the hard work long hours a lot of thought and craft that went into it it did pay off and it did influence in that positive way because it was a show and a character that people could enjoy and relate to and and appreciate so that does for me as an artist that means the world to me but then also for me as a Christian too because again it, it makes me feel like the Lord did use me in a positive capacity and I'm so grateful for that you know there are a lot of shows that define a generation or a time in history like uh, I Love Lucy or Leave It to Beaver, and I think it's time that the middle will remerge as a nostalgic show for future generations. So to you, what is so special about the show, The Middle, that has made so many millions of people love the show? Oh my goodness. You know, I got to go back to the fact that it was a family show that people could come together and watch and appreciate together as a family. I also think, too, that it happened to capture like, because you even brought up a good point. All of the different shows that you mentioned 
mentioned, they perfectly captured and illustrated different time frames in history and throughout the history of our country or the world, wherever the setting may be. And the middle really truly captured those early 2000s and teens of this particular century. And for me, I definitely see it as a show that people are going to look back on and have those nostalgic memories for because not only was it a show that caught the attention of people for this generation, but it also did have those throwbacks from the previous generation as well, and it culminated together. And I think that's really what made it the most special. Now, you've worked with some big names. You worked with Will Smith. Betty White, Jerry Van Dyke, Norm MacDonald, who Elias does a perfect impersonation of. (laughs) What are some of the others that you've worked with, and who were some of your favorites? Well, I got to say that, you know, you brought up Will Smith, and I absolutely adored working with Will Smith. But coupled on that project, I had the privilege of being able to work with Peter Berg. And he, hands down, is one of the best directors I have ever had ever in my entire career, even as a, as a kid. He knows how to artistically craft a scene, but in a way that is just so understandable and real, but also who he is as a person being at the helm of that ship is absolutely incredible. I've had the privilege, too, of working with people like David Zucker and several others, Brooke Shields, being able to work with Marion Ross on the show, yeah. everything. You know, these are classic people that really, when you get the opportunity to listen to them speak and just listen to how they craft things. They are so sweet. And Marion Ross especially was absolutely love her. She was nothing yeah. but kind to me, but an amazing artist. And, you know, you uh, you brought up just about other people as well. And I got the privilege of being able to work with, and I hope I get his name correctly because I'm partially brain farting here as I'm trying to remember it. Martin, <laughs> Martin Landau? Martin Landau? Oh, yeah. Is Landau? That right? on, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Landau, yes, on Frankenweenie. I had the privilege. I didn't get to work with him directly, but when we were doing the publicity for Frank and Weenie, we had the honor of going down to Disneyland and spending two days doing a big, huge press kit, right? So it was just the the machine of interview after interview after interview talking about the movie and publicizing it. And I had the privilege of being able to sit with Mr. Landau at dinner and just listen to him as an actor and as an artist speak. And I learned more in an hour and 15 minute dinner than I have in years of being an actor up at that point and it was just stupendous and he he was just freely giving me information just as him it's just who he is as an artist so it was stupendous like you said I know that I have been blessed with meeting a lot of different people even more so with working with certain uh, members of that group of people that I I truly admire as artists and it's just been such an adventure (laughs) you know what I've got to step in here and say this once again this testifies to your character because it's so rare for a younger person to reach up and say, I want to know from that generation, give me the wisdom. Kind of the Elisha, what Elisha did to Elijah, if we're using biblical terms, you know, where he said, hey man, whatever you got, that's what I want. The anointing that's on you, that's what I want. And then Elijah turned around, you know, the, the heart of the father to the children and children to the father. And that's what I hear coming out of you, is that you are honored and blessed to receive from an older generation. And that's a rarity. 
especially from younger people. I remember when I was 17, I knew everything. I wish I could go back in time and ask myself stuff because I knew everything. But you just don't carry that arrogance and that you walk in humility. And I, man, that's so awesome. I appreciate that. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you. No, you, you bring up a, a very good point that there is something to be learned. And whether it be in biblical terms and or world history and everything, that is how generations accrued knowledge is you don't just sit there and say, oh, I'm going to learn it all on my own. There are some people where you have to do that, and that's totally understandable. But if you have the opportunity to learn from your previous generation, that is only going to benefit you. And I know, like for me personally, and I'll be very frank, my mom is an older mom, and she had an older mother as well. So when you go back, even if it's just a short time frame, in our personal family's history, my mom's grandmother breaks into the 1800s as far as knowledge. So through those generations, we have accrued knowledge that harken all the way back to that time frame. Wow. So for me, I only see the benefit in learning from an older person. Now, again, you know, I'm a person who I can't make blanket statements like that because I have met with and communicated with people where I, <laughs> one of them is Norm MacDonald, who I go, hmm, I question your logic there. <laughs> but that doesn't, that doesn't mean I'm disrespectful, that means where I take that information in and I can formulate an opinion on it, but there's always the opportunity to gain life wisdom which is in very short supply these days. So I appreciate you saying that. I think that that's a, a wonderful point, especially, like you said, for people of my generation. Are there some people that you've always dreamed of working with that you would love to work with? You know, it's funny because I like being pleasantly surprised with certain aspects, but like certain the, the certain like details and artistry that different people will have. I have always joked and said I would love to be on a show like The Walking Dead, not because I'm just a fan, but also because there is a lot of art that goes into a show like that, right? And of course, as time went on with that show, I kind of was like, mm, maybe I don't want to be in this season, but, you know, and I would think <laughs> like that. But there are certain actors who really are just exceptional at their craft, and I mean, I'm talking about actors like Andrew Lincoln, or actors like John Krasinski, who now is being, a, in my opinion, he's an excellent director. I love The Quiet Place. I have never got a chance to see Part 2 yet because California got locked down the day that it came out but you know there's those people that they're very hidden they're almost like hidden gems and you don't quite know how excellent of an artist they are until you watch them another prime example is actually Ben Foster I watched a movie that he was in called Hell or High Water which was kind of a movie that just kind of came and went and then it seemed like just constantly after that he was in all these different movies and his acting is absolutely exceptional as far as what I call acting with your eyes acting, where you can convey an emotion and multiple layers of an emotion using only your eyes, and having that just come out is the character that you are. So, I would have to say at least that handful of people, if I ever got the privilege of working with them, I'd probably fall on my face. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of that, do you have any aspirations? I know you've got your own production company, I think you've started. Do you have any aspirations of directing or writing? What kind of goals do you have as 
as far as the industry? You know, it's funny because the unfortunate thing is precisely as you guys were talking about earlier, how when you're younger, you think one way and then life happens and things dynamically change. You know, COVID is one of those things that has dynamically changed really everyone. And I think that it's a situation that has shown how even people in the industry, uh, people in Hollywood or whatever it may be, we are not immune to events that happen nationwide or globally. Hollywood is dynamically different than it was before. The amount of money and the amount of permitting and just really what you have to do as a whole to get a project off the ground, let alone to do it now, is astronomical. If you were to talk to me when the show ended, all my goals were I wanted to write, I wanted to direct, and I wanted to like make my own show happen, or, and I had multiple show ideas going for me, multiple movie ideas going for me, and whatever. But now that we are in a post-COVID world, and, we, and the reality is we don't know exactly what that's going to look like yet, I am kind of retracting inward a little bit, still being an artist, and working on my production company in a way where what I would have thought would have been successful before, which to me would be, oh, let me make an independent film, and I'm going to do the uh, film festival circuit, try to get it distributed to theaters and whatever, that's now different. If there's no theaters to go into, and it's hard to get on something that's like a Netflix or an Amazon, what is the better way of approaching that? And for me, what I see is online. Online really is the way to do things now, because people need the on-demand entertainment if they're locked in home for any period of time, and whether that be COVID or anything else, and that just seems to be the shift now that has occurred. So for me, my goals now are I want to continue to grow my production company. I'm doing my Twitch streaming, which I'm sure we'll talk about here in a bit, but I want to continue to try to make that online entertainment and thrive in that online entertainment realm, because that's the realm that really is what's growing now. Especially with the younger kids of this generation who spend the majority of their time online or on their phones and not watching the network TV shows anymore. Same thing with satellite radio is coming to the picture and it's taking over mainstream radio. And so, like you said, generations change over time and COVID is a defining moment in our history, I believe, that's forced us into other areas of entertainment or just in general, the way that we live life. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's that's 100% correct. You know, it is that generation. This is this is this major shift in our generation in 2020 what harkens in the 20s <laughs> is this huge event that has just changed everything and how do we adapt to that you know the reality is too is when i've when i've spoken with different agencies and whatever through the course of my career i get the same consistent theme where the younger people in that agency are trying to get people to understand the shifting in focus for entertainment and they just don't and there is going to be a day where a lot of these classic procedures for creating entertainment are not going to be there anymore. And there's going to be this whole new influence. Like, again, like you said, it used to be here's TV and you get a TV show by getting on a network and partnering with a studio and okay, you're on one of the big networks and there's your TV show. Pre-COVID, the shift turned to the streaming. So the Netflix and the Amazon and the Hulu and, the, and now Apple and all that stuff. And now that's completely shifting again where I would not be surprised if you had these new websites that are really going to be more user-friendly and allow different people to tell their stories in mass because that's the only stories that are going to be able to be told. I've seen you also do some Pure Flix interviews. Any plans on doing a Pure Flix movie? 
I think you'd be awesome in that along with your faith. I think that would be a perfect fit for you. Absolutely. No, I couldn't agree more. So let's call up Pureflix and pitch it. And <laughs> <laughs> and the three of us are going to have some more work. I dig it. No, I, uh, for me personally, if Pureflix, if Pure, and, and hey, this is Christian interview, so I'll say this. If Pureflix called me up today and said we have a role for you, I would probably take it in a heartbeat because I would love to be able to work with those people because, as you know, and like you said, in the various interviews that I've done, I've worked with a lot of different people in interviews and been able to communicate with them, and uh, I think it would be an absolute privilege to be able to do something in that realm and begin to tell those stories where I don't have to be afraid of the morality that might be involved in the story, but I know that it's something that has substance to it. Also, a lot of people may not realize, but you've also had a very successful career as a voice actor. We mentioned a couple of those. Tell us about some of your work as a voice actor. Well, like you were mentioning earlier, I've had a, I've, I've been very blessed with being able to have Mickey Mouse as a boss <laughs> on several occasions <laughs> uh, in working for Disney. And I was able to do Frank and Weenie with Tim Burton. I was able to work on The Lion Guard. And even pre that, I did Fish Hooks. I've done several other shows as well for Netflix and DreamWorks and what have you. And voiceover is such a special craft because where it differs from theatrical, theatrical, you know, you're on a set, so you're in a scene, you know, you get gussied up in the wardrobe and you have to worry about your choreography and everything like that. And you get immersed in the scene that way. But the art of voiceover is you are totally reliant on your voice to convey emotion, expression, action, and truly bring a character to life with the animators. And that's what I've always loved about it, is you're genuinely, fully bringing a character to life. And so I really appreciate voiceover for that reason. When you're doing it, are you looking at a screen of what's actually going on, like the artwork maybe, or the actual footage from whatever you're voicing? Or are you just completely on your own, out of your mind, creating this character, and then they come in and match it? You know, it's funny. It actually varies, believe it or or not. There'll, there'll be certain projects where like uh, for the Lion Guard for example. The Lion Guard, they were detailed in the audition. Ford Riley was just exceptional and very passionate with that whole project. He came in and they would describe things to me. First of all they would show me artwork so I knew what the character looked like and, and could kind of fully embody the character of Ono in this regard. But then what ended up happening is later on because we got we embodied the character so well very early on, we were able to use our minds to imagine the scenes taking place. So he would be very descriptive. He and Kelly, who was the uh, voice director, they'd be very descriptive about what the scenes were, how they were taking place, what was going on, giving me the backstory of how they came up with this specific Swahili term or this specific creature or animal, and they would show me, and we could visualize it. In other regards, there was no pre-queued up imagery or anything like that whatsoever. And the only time that we would see footage is if we were needing to do ADR, which is where it's post the animating work and we need to match the timing of a line to someone who did a scratch, like a writer or a PA or something like that. But for the most part, we do the acting first and that's post concept art and then we go in and we work. Now, the other cool thing about voiceover is, because you had mentioned it, there would be a lot of times where you are just a single person in a booth, meaning you're not working with anybody else. So you have to also imagine their delivery and their sound for a line if you're interacting with them. But in other respects, with certain shows that I did, we were able to actually be together and there would be multiple cast members in a room and that was another way where it was like theater. We could all 
play off of each other and we were there in the scenes together building the scenes together and playing off of each other so it was it, again it's such a universal craft and it's just so exciting to see how creative we can get in this strange business that we're in <laughs> technology today is so incredible just about anybody can make a movie from home with the technology of software and the availability of, of cameras and, and even on our cell phones some of these cell phones are so <laughs> HD quality you know I've seen a lot of short films made just from cell phones absolutely absolutely yeah. do you have any aspirations because you speak about your faith so much do you have any aspirations of pursuing ministry in some form yeah that's right you know that's that is an excellent question and I can easily say that you are the first person who has ever asked me that in an interview wow. um, that is something that has been brought up multiple times I get very kind people who bestow upon me you know the, the comment you would be an amazing pastor you would be an amazing preacher you should be a minister whatever it may be in a sense for me and this is where I'm at now and again like I said earlier things can always change but I am very passionate about the Lord and what I do now I would consider a ministry and what I do now is I'm um, in an effort to build my production company and begin to make a name that kind of detaches from the character of Brick I've gotten onto a platform called Twitch which is a live streaming platform primarily surrounded around a gaming and gamers and gaming but they also treat it like a podcast as well and what it is is it's a live stream where you live get to interact with viewers and what I wanted to do from the very beginning and it has evolved into this is do the video games and slay some zombies and whatever yes we do but I keep it as Christ-centered as I can, and I'm not afraid and I don't shy away from every opportunity that I get to bring up about the Word of God, to bring up about Jesus, and have those Christ-centered discussions and really have fellowship. And thus far, that is what this group, this community that is formed on Twitch really is about. And so for me, I do consider that a form of ministry because for me, it's one thing to be a minister or a preacher or a pastor in a church, but what comes with that are certain restrictions, not only behind the scenes, but also in the church itself. You have to get people to either log on to your live stream for church or get them to enter into your church in order to listen to you preach and hear the word. So for me, I felt that this setting of Twitch and gaming and whatever is an exceptional way, as we talked about earlier, to reach people of all ages. And maybe it's the people that might not necessarily be the type of people who want to go to church, but they need to hear the truth. And and so I have been very prayerful and very dedicating of this work to the Lord. And I do see how he is using it to grow people's faith. And even for me, he's bringing people to the community who are also very well versed in the truth. And it ends up being a discussion that elicits growth all the way around. I see it being the example also that Jesus said. I mean, Jesus came from a spiritual place, the heavenly realm, into this earth. And who he hung around with, he didn't isolate himself to the synagogue and just hang out there with the scribes and the Pharisees. He was not just there with the priests. Matter of fact, those were the biggest complainers that <laughs> against Jesus at the time because yeah. he was there among the people. He was a friend to the sinner. And I know that, you know, what the Bible says is that the fivefold ministry gifts, those that work in the church, are there to equip the saints to work the ministry. And so all of us are in ministry. And so I'm so glad that you see what you're doing as that is the ministry God called you to because that's exactly what it's supposed to be. I was in pastoral roles for over 15 years and then 
God shifted and kind of nudged me toward stand-up comedy. And I was like, okay, well, that, <laughs> but that's exactly <laughs> the transition that I believe God's people to make an impact on the world. We have to go into the world. Absolutely. You know, again, it's one thing to preach to the choir. And actually, this is a very good point that you're bringing up, too, because the thing is, as I mentioned previously, and again, I'm, I'm going to be putting on the this is Atticus's opinion chat. Um, but my opinion is that because I've seen that and remember, this is me being limited as far as seeing churches that are here in California. The unfortunate thing is, is a lot of these churches are wanting to still conduct a business in more of a business way rather than a Christ-centered way. Meaning, there is the fear of saying certain things that people agree with, of which in the Bible there is a lot. We know this from Jesus, like you said. He wasn't there to impress the Pharisees and go, oh, how great thou art. He went out into the world to truly save people. And to do that, you need to convey difficult truths. But the other thing about it, too, is the unfortunate thing is, is a lot of times in churches nowadays, the pastors are not equipping even those who are of the body of Christ to be the Christ-centered warriors that they need to be to survive situations like we're in now with COVID. I can't tell you the number of times, even for me, in my little sliver of the body of Christ, of people who come to me and who are Christ followers, who just don't really know how to cope. And I'm one of them. You know, I'm, I'm a person who, as much as I have read the word, I am still a student and I will be in perpetuity. There's still much for me to learn and for all of us to learn. But there's a lot of times now where pastors are not taking that extra step to say, listen, you're allowed to call evil evil. You're allowed to not be happy about a circumstance, but how can you praise God in that unhappiness? How can you shift your view to more of a Christ-centered view and not just sit on a pity pot, even though it is okay to feel bad about a circumstance, you know? And for me, I think that that's where in something like what you said, whether it's stand-up comedy and being up on a stage doing comedy, or me going on to YouTube and making a video uh, that has a Christ-centered point to it, or me streaming and having a question be posed that I am giving a Christ-centered answer to in an unafraid way, I think that that is going to end up doing more benefit for the body of Christ than to just keep regurgitating John 3.16 over and over and over again. Is there a purpose to John 3.16? Absolutely, because it's the basis of our faith. But it's like what Paul said, there's a point in time where I need to feed you milk, but then I need to feed you solid food and meat and have you grow. So you preaching now. Look out. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I am. Yes, I am. You open the floodgates. (laughs) You mentioned something, too. We had Mark Lowry on the show, I guess, a few weeks ago. I don't know if you're familiar with Mark, but he was in the Gaither vocal band. He wrote the song, Mary, Did You Know? And he's Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, he actually brought up a good point, too, because now, especially after COVID, his shows are around 1,000 people max now because of COVID, if that. But he can go online, which he does every day, and he'll have 30,000 viewers on within 15 minutes. And so he's yeah. reaching the world from his house more so than he could do if he was traveling the nation and doing concerts. So don't underestimate your reach just because you're at home in your house, especially with the way the world has had to adapt to COVID. Absolutely. And you bring up such a good point because I'm even experiencing that now. I have people that are in the United Kingdom, Germany, Australia, Canada, and then all over our country. You know, it's amazing to see how quickly the spread 
spread of something can reach in this day and age of internet technology. Now, I want to switch gears just a little bit here because you are a self-proclaimed, I guess, foodie now. But I heard you say, <laughs> <laughs> heard you say when you were young, though, I, I don't know what interview I heard this on, but that you were a mustard sandwich guy and you would hardly eat anything. Where did your love of food and trying new types of food come from? Listen, when you have a mom who is third generation amazing Polish cook, okay, (laughs) you learn to love food very swiftly. It's one of those things where, you know, I was very picky eater. A lot of the times it wasn't necessarily taste but texture. You know, I just, I, I was very finicky. But then when I became like eight or nine, there were several situations where I would do, I would try certain things, like just things seemed to catch my eye more. And then I remember that there was this one time where I did the movie An American Carol. David Zucker was the director. And there was a scene where they're like, here, you need to eat a burger and I had never done that before and so when I took that bite of a McDonald's Happy Meal burger my entire life shifted and from that point on it was like I want to try different stuff and then thankfully like as my taste buds you know progressed through puberty and everything like that I started eating sushi and I started eating you know all these different dishes my mom would make or we'd go to restaurants and try stuff thankfully too I was given a lot of free food in my time in the industry and so it was like oh I might as well try that it's free what's the worst I spit it out (laughs) you know so that's exactly what we interviewed Jerry Mathers Remember, leave it to Beaver. He was the Beaver on there, uh-huh. and he ended up having type two diabetes for that exact reason. Yeah. <laughs> for sure, I can understand that. I, I remember that there was this one time where we had a crafty trailer for a very short period of time, where it was this trailer that was air conditioned and full of you know all the good, amazing junk food that God bless the earth with. And there was this candy thing where it was like you know how you would go and you would stick a quarter in and turn the knob, and then you would get a handful of M and M's. Whatever. Well, it was that, but you didn't have to put a quarter in, right? It was free. And there was this one that was a shoot that was just floor to ceiling of peanut M&Ms. And we brought this extended family over to visit the set one day. And when he saw the peanut M&Ms, he almost defecated himself and then ran over to it and stuck his mouth on the nozzle and then started to turn the the lever. It was insane. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Well, I've also heard you say this, that you eat several small meals a day and I was like what like seven or eight meals I think do you still do that oh absolutely yeah see here's what you have to remember is I'm a hobbit so when you read the <laughs> hobbit books let's see what are the meals there you have breakfast second breakfast eleven z's luncheon afternoon tea dinner supper and then there might be a snack uh yeah that's me <laughs> wow. hey what's your favorite hobbit character my favorite hobbit character yeah, oh, I've, yeah I've heard you mention Mordor and and uh I'm a big Lord of the Rings fan so I'm just wondering. Nice, for sure. You know, I love a variety of the characters. I mean, Bilbo, besides getting seduced by the ring, there's a lot of positive messages that Bilbo does convey, uh, uh-huh. both in The Hobbit and Lord of the Rings. So I really love Bilbo. I really love Gandalf with his wisdom and everything and how he kind of orchestrates different situations. And then just because he's a hilarious character, Gollum is hysterical. But that's because I like him in the movies. But Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I saw on your YouTube channel, it's Atticus Schaefer Vlog. I saw in some of your videos there that you did on what you called Tactical Thursdays, where you tried packaged military food, and you were trying yes. sardines, and you cracked me up so bad. You said after opening the can that, 
I immediately regret this decision. So <laughs> hilarious. <laughs> Listen, though, I'm going to tell you not for nothing. I'm a good little Polak. I dig the sardines. I'll eat them. Uh, well, you I'm, already I'm, said I'm, you I'm, like Gollum, so that goes right there. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know, I do, though. Seriously, it's uh, it's solid. I love it. I love the meat, cheese, the bread, the vinegars, the salt. <laughs> <laughs> I love how you celebrate other people in the world that are different. You mentioned about the Hobbit thing, and I saw your video on that, too, and I was just like, wow, this guy, he owns what he is. He presents it to the world in Christ-like way, uh, and without... Even mentioning Christ, to me, your spirit and how you act and how you articulate things to people is out of so much love that it's really, I'm just so impressed with you to be 22 years of age and to know who you are. I don't know if if you realize how unusual that is for a 22-year-old because I would give anything if I would have had the clarity that you have at 22. Well, let's see. I am still single. And I really don't have many friends I hang out with. So, yes, believe me, I know that that's a rare trait. Um, <laughs> no, but in all in all sincerity, though, I really genuinely appreciate that. It's just like you said, it is I, I am who I am. I'll be very uh, open and honest just because that's the nature of this interview. I had many situations where confidence was um, trying to be stripped from me, from a variety of different people. And as unfortunate as that may be, the Lord is still eliciting healing in me and helping me to be confident in myself. And when I do those different things, like be very bold and make a funny video about how do I identify or, you know, trying different foods or what I'm doing now with the streaming, it truly is a testament to the Lord working in me and saying, it's okay, I've got this, just do this, trust me, and then to be able to receive the blessing of hearing such a positive reaction from you guys, from the the positive comments that I get on those videos or on those things that I do, it means everything to me. And I mean that with every bit of sincerity I can muster. It sincerely does. Well, that's an honor for us to be able to express those to you. And I'm sure there's thousands and thousands of people out there that feel just the same way we do. Are there any hobbies that you enjoy doing? You know, it's kind of funny. I'm in I because of the nerd that I am outside of things like video games and stuff like and reading and all those typical things I actually spent a lot of time playing a Japanese trading card game called Yu-Gi-Oh and oh. I was such a nerd about that my little collector spirit uh kind of came into play there with that and that was super fun for me I remember for the longest time my little dream for that was oh I want to I want to get to this tier level of event and win. I'm going to be a champion, whatever. That didn't happen, but I, I had a lot of fun. But yeah, that was something I was into for a while. But now, really, what I love, and I think that this is what I love about my work now being in a production company or owning a production company and trying to grow it, is that I'm constantly having to learn. And my mom really helped me to develop a true love of learning. And so for me, when I get the opportunity to research something or to find out about, oh, how can we, how can we grow in this way or what's something cool that I can do for this video or whatever 
it is so thrilling for me to be able to learn and then apply what I've learned. So for me, that's like my number one interest in life. And then I, I have a I jokingly say this on streams. I have a couple other interests that I don't normally talk about simply because people don't look at me right sometimes, at least where I live with those interests, like preparedness mindset and stuff like that for different disasters or whatever it may be. That is one of those things that started because I watched The Walking Dead and I was like, we got to get ready for a zombie apocalypse. But then it changed into being more practical and going, hey, it's actually good to know CPR and it's a good idea to know how to change a tire and stuff like that, you know? So that also kind of ties in with that love of learning as well. Do you watch a lot of TV or movies? Do you have favorite TV shows or favorite types of movies? You know, I've gotten away from watching a lot. I used to watch a lot of TV shows and movies and stuff like that. And in a sense, I still do. But what I like now is my mom and I, we always have the time uh, in the evening where, like, it's our way of turning off our brain. Uh, my mom and I, we have, we both struggle with insomnia. And so a lot of times in my life and in her life, it'd be very difficult to fall asleep. So what, what do we do is we watch TV right before bed and we'll watch something that's a really cool, artsy show or a fun show or whatever it may be. And then we end up thinking about that and it helps us both be able to go to sleep. And so my mom and I, what we do is we pick different shows and we'll watch through them. We get recommendations from friends or uh, we look up stuff and have stuff recommended to us and whatever and we'll watch it. So like we were really into Man in the High Castle on Amazon. We watched through that series. We loved it. Obviously, we like The Walking Dead, but we also developed a love for Stranger Things. We loved a show called uh, The Travelers. And then we also like English shows that kind of harken back to English history. That's just become a thing for us because we started with The Crown and fell in love with that on Netflix. And then it went into the Masterpiece Theater stuff. So we started watching Victoria. Now we're watching Dark, which we think is exceptional. So, you know, it's a variety of shows like that. Next, we're going to do The Durls and Corfu. That caught our attention. So we're going to try that next. And then after that, we we kind of get scared. <laughs> we're like you. Uh, when, a, when a show ends, we get really afraid because we're like, well, what are we going to do now? This helps us to sleep. What's going to happen? That's <laughs> true. You watch those last credits go by. And you're like, no, there's no next episode. Melatonin. Yeah, exactly. Melatonin. Melatonin. Oh, trust me. I'm a, I'm a melatonin dude. Trust me. I, I got to do the melatonin and still watch something. So. Yeah, melatonin gummies have saved my life. <laughs> oh, I'm, I hear you, man. I'm right there with you. <laughs> it's Hey, if you don't mind, we've got a couple of, we've got, I think, two questions here from fans. Our first hey. question here, it is, it says, uh, and this is from Misty, what was it like playing Ono the Bird on Lion Guard and now being part of the Lion King universe? And that is such an awesome question, actually, because like she had mentioned, you're a part of this universe now, this already established storyline, and now to be a part of it is so cool. I did understand the depth of it, and I was so thankful to get that job. Being able to be Ono on the Lion Guard is hands down one of the favorite jobs I've ever had. Simply because of the creativity that got to be put into that character, but also the love and the passion, the creativity that was put into the show as a whole. Because of the importance of the storyline that it is a part of. But it wasn't until near the end of the show that the voice director Kelly and Ford Riley, the creator of the show, as we were talking, they were conveying to me, this was post-season one, they were conveying to me, they were like, 
do you understand how much this character is going to affect people? And I sort of did and I didn't. And they kind of, as being the people that they are in the industry, they were conveying to me, you are probably going to be getting auditions now that will have a character description where Ono is going to be the reference character, unlike other characters where they use other characters to reference it. And for me, that really, it sank into me where I got so blessed with not only being a part of the universe, but being a character that stands out in that universe, like, so thrilling for me. And also, too, how Ford adjusted it as well. He adjusted the character to be, he was the keenest of sight, and then he became the smartest. And being able to watch how he almost took a page out of my own personal book, where Ono had this challenge, and then he was able to find his strength within that challenge. Did he have to adjust certain things? Yes. But then it ended up benefiting himself and another life force in the other bird character that got to be involved. It was such an amazing experience for me. So I was absolutely thrilled to be Ono. That's one of the things that I get asked all the time on the stream because I have a lot of young people who are fans of the Lion Guard. They'll be like, if Lion Guard comes back, would you do it? And I always tell them, without hesitation, yes. If a movie came back and we did a revamp or we did a revamp of the show or whatever it may be, I would be thrilled to be a part of that. Hey, which leads us into the very next fan question from Destiny in New York City, New York. Is the spinoff of The Middle still happening? And if so, will you be making an appearance? No, that got scrapped almost immediately. So as far as I know, there is nothing to do with the middle spinoff or revamp or otherwise currently going on. Yeah, because I believe, wasn't it going to center around the Suhek character, I think? Correct. Yeah. We're going to spin our dumb question wheel. (laughs) It's something we have. (laughs) I love it. I love it. (laughs) And let's see your question. And we kind of, we kind of come up with some of these and we make them personalized. I like it. (laughs) And you've already mentioned a little bit about this earlier. I was thinking, oh, this is awesome. I hope he gets that. And you did. So it is, if you had to survive the apocalypse, what three items and three people would you choose? But at least one of those people have to be from the show, The Middle. Hmm. Oh. Wait, now wait, wait, Johnny. Does it have to be like their character on The Middle or their actual person? Mm, I would say the person because like this is real. The apocalypse could happen. This would be real. I love this question. Like, this is candy for me. Now, uh, before we get into this, when you say apocalypse, my friend, there are different types of apocalypses. Are we talking I Am Legend, or are we talking The Road? Are we talking The Book of Eli? (laughs) Are we talking Zombieland? Give me some details here. I think we're talking Zombieland. make an educated answer. We're talking Zombieland. Yes. Yes, since you're a Walking Dead fan, and so let's go Zombieland. Zombieland. Okay, so I get three items of my choosing. And then three people, one of them has to be a character from the show. Yes? Yes, correct. Okay, so what I would do is let's start with the people. Uh, first of all, I would definitely have to take my mom because I like to eat good food. And I'm telling you, she can make a meal out of anything. And she can uh, grow anything, apparently, too. I've seen the garden. Yeah. Incredible, man. Incredible. Heck, yes. You know it. So mom's definitely person number one. Okay. Person number two. Let me, let me go through the cast list in my head. 
because this will be tough. Let's see. I mean, I could be really mean. Did you say that it has to be the character or it has to be the person? I think the person would be better because it's more reality, but we'll leave that up to you. If you would rather choose a character, then we'll leave that part to you. Yeah, see, I lean on the well, character side because that's what we we relate with as those characters. Well, how about how about this? I'll give two answers for that. I'll give a character answer and I'll give a person Perfect. answer. Perfect. Okay. okay. So, okay. person answer, I would definitely have to say probably as far as knowing the person. Oh man. Oh, this is tough. This is really tough. I would probably have to say that I would take Norm Macdonald, believe it or not, ah, because he okay. told, he told me some really weird stories. Stories about camping trips that he was on, and inadvertently, what he does could probably end up helping us. So I take Norm Macdonald. I think we'd be fine. So that I guess we'll just leave what he does as a gray area. There, we'll just kind of yeah. Don't don't worry about that because I don't know the legality of it. But you know, just know that that's there. Um, this is going to be really mean. Like I'm going to be losing the fruits of the spirit here for a sec. But if I were to take a character, I would take Sue because. At any moment, if mom and I and this third person had to leave, I would just, like, let her wander off on her own because she's so loud, and she'll just be zombie chow. And then everyone will go for yeah. them, go for her, and we'll just go chill somewhere else. Someone's got to pay the big you know? price. Well, yeah, exactly. You know, hey, martyrdom, you sacrificed for the greater good. Good for you. We'll be up there on that skyscraper. Right. Great is your reward in heaven. Uh- Exactly. Don't worry. I won't let you turn. <laughs> um, so, okay. So that that's my two-part answer for that. As a third person that I know, I'm going to just go with, with complete fictional character, but I would probably pick Eli from the Book of Eli. Okay. Just Denzel Washington swag. He's totally Christ warrior down. Survives the zombie apocalypse pretty good, so we'll do that. Um, as far as items, man, all right, we're talking zombies here, so I'd probably take, I'm going to be I'm going to imagine that I'm a good archer and I'll take a, a nice recurve bow. Then we, we can be stealthy. Um, I would definitely take water purification tablets because if you don't have water, you're done. And then I would take hot sauce. Because if, God forbid, anything happened and we had to eat really crummy food, the hot sauce will make it edible. <laughs> or yeah. if you had to eat Sue Heck, you know. Or McDonald's. <laughs> I'm starting with Norm McDonald. I'm eating him first because I feel, yeah, there you go. I feel like he's got some flavor. Well, I don't know what he put in him, though. i got to be honest. That might be a little bit toxic. So. That's true. That's true. But it'll cook out. It'll cook out. Yeah. Eat the foot with caution. <laughs> Oh, I don't know. I would keep Norm around, though, just because he's funny. I mean, he could be entertaining to help you keep your mind more, you know. Exactly. Like, when you hear zombies all the time, it gets old. So when you hear someone that sounds like a zombie, but they can kind of fumble their way through a funny story, pretty good. (laughs) I don't know if the zombies would even want Sue Heck. I think she might repel the zombies, in fact. Really? Oh, wow. I kind of, like, that, that could be a little bit of shade that just got thrown there for a sec. That's the funny. The character, anyway. I should yeah, no, sure. I, know what you're, I, know, I know what you're saying as I shift my eyes mischievously. <laughs> well, Adam, 
Atticus, man, you are so awesome. We are so glad to have you on the show today. We want to thank you for being here. And just, man, we want to wish you all the blessings and success you deserve, my friend. It has truly been an honor to have you on the show today. You guys, I wish all the same to you. Sincerely, the pleasure was mine. This was a huge blessing. And hey, if time goes by and we're still all alive and we haven't been all, you know, coughed on and COVID-fied and we haven't lost our TP, bring me back. I'd love to hang out with you guys again. Oh, Definitely. we'd love it. Just let me know when. We'll make it happen. You made my week. Nice. <laughs> yeah. Thank, Thank you so you. much, man. God bless you. Thank hey, you, guys. Hey. God bless you guys, too. You keep safe out there. Bye-bye. What a great time we just had with Atticus Schaefer. I love that guy. Love that interview. He is awesome. Special thanks to our sponsor. Dead and Buried Inc. Look them up, Dead and Buried Inc. And a special thank you to our MC, Mr. Rick Viper. Be sure to join us next week with our special guest, Dina Martin. That's the daughter of Dean Martin. Maybe you might remember him from the Rat Pack. Dina, she's a triple threat actress, singer, uh, dancer. dancer. Yeah, everything you can do. And she's just she awesome. She's done it all. And legendary Rat Pack members, Frank Sinatra, Sammy Davis Jr., and of course her dad, Dean. Martin. Man, I'm looking forward to that so much. Hey guys, until then, be sure to subscribe to the podcast as soon as it ends so you don't forget. That way you'll be notified when each new podcast is released and it helps us to continue to bring you new episodes each and every week. Hey, you also want to like and share our podcast. Tag us on social media so we'll know that you did it and you could win yourself a free Life and Laughs t-shirt. They are really cool. You're going to love it. And add us on Facebook. That's facebook.com forward slash Life and Laughs podcast. On Instagram, life underscore and underscore laughs pod. <laughs> life underscore and underscore podcast underscore. No, life underscore and underscore laughs underscore podcast. Yes, yes, you got it. <laughs> and also, time. yeah, also on YouTube, just search life and laughs podcast. <laughs> So until next week, remember, live life, love everybody, and and laugh laugh always. always. Laugh always. (laughs) Brick would be so proud of us. Yes.